0: our Summer in the Psalms uh, this week. We actually have two scriptures this morning. The first one is from Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. In the book of John, chapter 17, verses 20 to 26, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them.
1: Thanks, Cindy. Well, like Cindy just said, we're finishing today uh, our series in the book of Psalms that we started up in the, the beginning of summer. So it's been a, a fun, fun few weeks here doing this together. Uh, I wanted to show you a meme that our worship director, uh, music director, Chris Kim sent me this week. Uh, David is the guy who writes uh, most of the Psalms. And he's like, in the first, like, here's David in half the Psalms. The first, he's like, I'm okay. The other half, no, I'm not. Um, which I feel like is, you know, joking aside, is really one of the benefits of the Psalms because so much of them, because they are a little bit emo, um, it's really helpful, I would almost say, especially to our culture that is often seeking to suppress emotions and not deal with them, but we are to uh, uh, not just suppress them, uh, but find the Lord in them. And uh, one of the, the amazing things about the, Psalm, uh, about the Psalms, each one of these as we've been going through, is we find that they equip us to handle whatever life throws our way. Uh, Of course, the joys, but also the sorrows, the ups, but also the downs. Uh, We we, we can find and receive help from the Lord no matter the season of the soul, as we've been saying it. And today we've come to Psalm 133, where we're going to end, and of course the accompanying text, uh, John 17, that we're going to look at. And it really ends us on a high note. I, I love this psalm. Um, and, it, and it starts this way, behold is actually the word that is, is there, and not, not, a lot, uh, not my translation that was read, but, but take, look at, gaze at this, this wonderful thing, behold how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And then if you look down at verse 3, for there the Lord bestows His blessing, even life forevermore. What a promise. What a promise that we can receive this blessing. Now, what is blessing? We, we've talked about this uh, a number of times, and so we'll be briefer here, but it's, it's good to kind of touch on it uh, at, least, at least briefly. Uh, blessing is not the hashtag bless that we'll often see in social media. You know, hey, I got this new job hashtag blessed, you know, or I got, uh, you know, I passed the test, or hey, look at this new car of mine, blessed, or, or whatever it might be. Uh, now, to be, to be clear, every good and perfect gift, the Bible tells us, is from above, so those are blessing in their, in their own right. But when the, when the Bible talks about blessing, when it talks about blessing, it's talking about something much more deep and much more uh, filling. Uh, it's talking about a wholeness that we receive, uh, a sense of full satisfaction regardless of life's circumstances, that we can be grounded, that we'll have God's favor no matter what we face. And what's amazing here to me is David could have said, oh, you want, you want blessing? You want this favor? Well, you need to pray or you need to do good things, or you need to read your Bible, all things and others that we can consider that, would, that certainly do bring in God's blessing, they cert- certainly can. But here, David says, it's through unity that we receive this blessing, even life forevermore. Unity specifically among sisters and brothers who follow God, who follow Christ, um, this psalm, therefore, and also the accompanying text, which I think really goes hand in hand with it, are about the importance of unity among followers of Christ, a topic that we believe is not only timely and central to us as a church, as we gear up in the, in the fall season to kind of look at our vision values and, and uh, look ahead to the mission that God's given us, but also a way for us each to, to, to receive the blessing in our own lives, uh, even this promise of life forevermore. Can unity really have this kind of blessing? Yes. Oh, it can. Um, so the question then becomes, well, then how? Um, that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to look at three headings, three headings to kind of keep it, uh, you know, kind of hang our thoughts upon. We're going to look at the challenge of unity, the source of unity, and the product of unity. The challenge of unity, the source for unity, and the product of unity. Let me pray, and then we'll then we'll jump in. Father, what a, what a wonderful morning to get together and celebrate you. What a, what a wonderful morning to, to come and celebrate the wonderful name of Jesus. Um, boy, during the, this, this first worship set of songs, it's just one of those times where it's just, Lord, you're just so good to us. And one of the great blessings that you give us is each other, one another. We recognize that. We don't always get it right. If, if anything, we might get it wrong more often than not. But we want to seek you in understanding this, this topic that is so near and dear to your heart. Would you give uh, me your spirit? Give us each your spirit as we, as we try to understand and, and um, receive what your spirit has for us today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the challenge of unity. Let's look first at, at John 17. If, when Cindy was reading, you no doubt picked up that this was Jesus praying. Um, Now, this prayer of Jesus is actually very special uh, for for a number of reasons. For starters, it's one of the very few prayers of Jesus that we actually have recorded. All of the biographical writers, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they tell us that at many points over the course of his life, Jesus went off and prayed, you would figure, right? But so many of those prayers are not actually recorded. Here we have one that's recorded. And of the few that are recorded, this is by far the longest so that's worth paying attention to, but what's also unique and special about this prayer is that it is, is the time in which he prayed it. This is literally hours before he would be arrested and ultimately tried and executed, crucified on the cross. This was the night that all of that would happen, hours before that would happen. So think of it this way. If you're on your deathbed or if someone's on their deathbed and you're in their presence, you're probably listening extra close to what they're saying, right? Here's Jesus essentially in that kind of situation, praying to God and allowing us to lean in, hear, listen to what he has to say. If that's not enough for us to lean in and say, okay, what's, what's important about this? What can we really understand? Uh, the last thing that I find so fascinating about this, maybe most interesting of all, is who he's praying for. Uh, If you notice in uh, John 17, verse uh, 20, he said, My prayer is not for them alone. That is, he had just been praying for his disciples, his students, the Peter, James, John, those people. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. In other words, he's praying for you and me down the ages. If we have received him or if we choose to receive him, become a follower of his. Jesus is praying for us. That's an amazing thought. You know, oftentimes when we read the Bible and we're trying to learn this or that of what Jesus is talking about, we're understanding the context. He was talking to his disciples then, and we're like, okay, you know, if he's talking about his disciples then, that means he's talking to his disciples today, and we draw those appropriate conclusions. Here, he's just like, hey, I'm praying for us as we sit here. It's a fascinating thought. And with this sense of urgency and with us on his mind as he's looking down the ages, what does he pray for? I pray that all of them may be one. Verse 21, verse 23, may they be brought to complete unity. The thing that Jesus prays for in this urgent moment and with us in mind and with this one very important recorded prayer is unity among us. Why? Well, in part because it's not a given. Unity is not a given. I mean, just to kind of take low-hanging fruit. Um, And we see that, by the way, in Psalm 133. Look at verse 3. When God's people live together in unity, he says... This word picture, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, which of course is a word picture to mean, to mean hey, there's this real beauty when this unity happens among uh, among God's followers. There's a real uh, refreshment level to it. Remember, this was written during the ancient times to an, uh, to an ancient people who lived in the dry wilderness in the desert. So to think of like dew coming from anywhere, let alone kind of the holy you know, sacred Mount Hermon, it was just, wow, this is a refreshing thought. So there's, there's beauty in understanding what he's saying there, of course, but think about it from this perspective. Mount Hermon is actually 270 miles away from Zion, that is Jerusalem. 270 miles, which means that's basically an impossibility for dew to drop that far. It would take nothing short of a miracle. Unity is not a given. Um, of course, you don't have to look too far into our own culture, into our own society, into our own Twitter accounts to find that, man, unity is not a given in our culture. If anything, it feels like we are more and more divisive, if anything. I mean, I, you know, I've only been paying attention for as long as I have. Studied politics, for instance, in, in, in uh, political science in, in, in college. It seems like we've ratcheted it up a couple of levels, wouldn't you say? In terms of what we, we were just so willing to just fire off either in the middle of the night or whenever, and I'm talking both if you want to continue along the, the political spectrum, but this is also in terms of pop culture, what we just say as if it doesn't matter, just tearing people down, building ourselves up, making our case, all those, all those sorts of things. Uh, we are, we are de- de- dismissive, we are divisive, but that's not just true in our culture. It's also true in the church. Uh, those of you who've been in the church for any length of time, you probably know this. Um, I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church. Um, I saw my parents started two churches, um, and I've paid attention not only within those churches, but with churches within, you know, churches interacting with other churches. And yeah, Christians are often, we are often quick to squabble. We are often quick to dismiss people, dismiss each other, end a relationship really quickly, or be quick to regroup. Or at minimum, figure unity is just not worth the time and effort. To develop. But Jesus is saying unity is so, so vital. Uh, It's the one thing he's praying for, uh, even in this uh, very important prayer. uh, He means to have it. Uh, I love this quote uh, by uh, Juan Carlos Ortiz. It's taken from a book that that I've enjoyed reading a number of years back called Disciple. Juan Carlos Ortiz is a pastor out of uh, Argentina, Buenos Aires. And uh, Spanish is his first language, but I love his his use of the English language. You'll, you'll you'll get a sense of it here in a minute. But here's how he he talks to this. Uh, he says God wants to unite His children. I can illustrate this with potatoes. Each potato plant in the garden has three, four, or five potatoes under it. Each individual potato belongs to another plant, uh, one plant or another. When the harvest comes, all the potatoes are dug up and put into one sack, so they are regrouped. But they are not yet united. They may say, Oh, praise the Lord. Now we are all in the same sack. But they are not yet one. They must be washed and peeled. They think they are closer yet. How nice it is, this love among us, they say. But that's not all. They must be cut in pieces and mixed. They have now lost a lot of their individuality. They really think they are ready for their master now. But what God wants is mashed potatoes. Not many potatoes. One mashed potato. No potato can stand up and say, here I am, I'm a potato. The word must be we. That's why the Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father which art in heaven, not my Father which art in heaven. With all the reference possible, I say to you that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three potatoes made into mashed potatoes. And Jesus is hungry for mashed potatoes. Isn't that good? Now, real quickly, I want to start by saying this. His point is not that we lose our diversity in becoming one. Okay? When Jesus said the prayer that we have recorded, he is looking forward to the day when every tongue, tribe, and nation come before the throne, worshiping him as one family. You hear that? So you know, this diversity in terms of racial, language, class, the whole mix of it. He's not saying, hey, we, we lose who we are and becoming one. No, he's talking about we need to we need to become a oneness in spirit, a oneness together. And I and I believe what what's one of the things that's so helpful about this this uh, the quote, other than being very entertaining, uh, is that uh, it really hits at something that Psalm 133 and John 17, I believe, are getting at, and that is unity is not just a, a, a because unity is not just a given, it needs to be worked for, uh, worked at, it needs to be fought for. I love how here at Current we, are, we have the beginnings of becoming a multicultural church. Now, do we have a long way yet? Do we want to, be, do we want to become increasingly more so? Do we have the desire to become increasingly more so? Absolutely. Um, but I, I mention this because if we are a multicultural church or aiming to be, that means we especially almost need to t- lean in and take this seriously and pay attention and understand that we need to be especially vigilant for it. Do you see that? That we're going to need to be especially patient, that we're going to need to be especially uh, willing and able to extend grace to each other along the way. Um, I came across one of these a uh, quote uh, this week um, that uh, puts, it, puts it this way. Urban churches have to be extremely patient with charges of cultural insensitivity because they will always have people from different cultures. Why? Every culture conceives of time differently, emotional expressiveness differently, honor and shame differently, they make decisions differently, and if you're going to be an effective church, you are inherently going to have to have people charging one another with cultural insensitivity. Therefore, you must learn to be extremely patient and extremely gracious. You have to always be expecting it. You have to always be listening to one another. You have to learn to do this in ways people outside the urban centers generally don't have to. I imagine if you reflected on your own experience, you can think of times when you didn't understand where someone was coming from, from their own background, where you, because of your unique and beautiful story, needed to be stretched to understand someone else's unique perspective. Maybe it was humbling. Maybe it was challenging. We'd love to hear about it, by the way, as a church. Uh, when Cindy and I got engaged, uh, we went through um, premarital counseling, and uh, it, was, it was great. We had... Uh, a pastor who's Korean-American, who's kind of overseeing this, a Korean-American guy who grew up in the inner city of East Oakland. So he had a number of, of interesting cultures coming together, and who had himself married a Latina gal, half Latina, half uh, Caucasian, with, with herself a, 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 a wonderful mix of, of culture uh, coming together for her. And so he asked us, you know, Cindy and myself, uh, how are you guys going to work out, uh, you know, the cultural differences as, as they arise in, in, in your marriage, and I thought about it, and I was just like, in my naivete, I was just like, oh we, we got this. I got this figured out. I know you know as a Caucasian guy that i take off my shoes at the front door, and that's that's okay and hey i'm gonna i 'm gonna get this and you know, and then cindy and i got then then we, then we got married then we tried to we started to try to communicate and uh, yeah, uh, and then we we had kids and we tried to figure out how to. You know, raise them. And the, and the solution was never, David, you need to become more Chinese American, or Cindy, you need to become more, you know, Caucasian in your approach. It was never that. It was, it was, it was how do we, as followers of Christ, come together and figure this out? Now, to be clear, it, I, I don't care what backgrounds or different backgrounds you come from. That's going to happen in marriage, just FYI, little tip for the wise. But there is an extra layer, I would think, that, well, I'll just speak for our own. There's an extra layer that, boy, we've, can I be real with you? There's been a lot of times it's been really hard. It's really hard, the way we express or don't, you know, all those sorts of things. And, um, and yet, when it's been hard, it's also been beautiful. Uh, I think this is what God wants us to work through as a church body. Um, look, the challenge of unity is not just out there in our society. It's not just in here or among, you know, the here's the churches. The challenge of unity is in each and every one of our hearts. Do you see that? It's in each and every one of our own hearts. And if your response to that is, you know, I think I got this. Actually, I think I'm good. I grew up in the 21st century America. I think I I would caution you to be extra wary. Um, There's enough going on in the news today, by the way, these movements where it's enough to know a lot of people who thought they had it all figured out. No, 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 no. That can often be actually more self-righteous than anything. The challenge of the unity is it starts... In here, we all don't have this figured out. We all need help. Um, Are there certain people that you tend to get easily annoyed with or even resent? Are there stances people hold that lead you to hold them in contempt? Are there people who are clueless in how they come across in all this? And it impacts you and probably others more than you let off. Where does your heart go? Um, I think there's a challenge uh, from all areas on this, but the center point is coming together. That's real hard. If we're real about it, it's a real challenge. It's not a given. It doesn't come easy, but there's an incredible source of power available to us. Um, And I love that. I mean, my cynical mind, if I were sitting where you would be like, oh, come on. No, this source of power, it's like nuclear-generated power without any of the fallout. It's. I mean, it's incredible if we we really understand what both of these scriptures say, how we can tap into and have the power source to live out this unity in a way that 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 uh, is just not available out there. It's in both the scriptures. Look at first at Psalm one thirty three, when God's people living together in unity, verse uh, verse two, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Now, can I just say first passing. Uh, this was always a really weird illustration to me. This whole like oil in the beard thing. I was just like, I think our 21st century minds, it could like actually have the opposite effect of what it's going for. I think of my hipster buddies with their with their beards and like oil in there. I'm like, I just, I can't get that image out of my head. Didn't need to go there, David. Thank you. But of course, he wasn't talking to me. <laughs> you know, in, in that society, he was talking to people who really would have Picked up on what he's saying here. So he talks about Aaron. Aaron was the high priest of Israel. So there's a symbolism of, of consecration, of holiness. This, this, uh, this um, um, metaphor of oil in the ancient times was used to make people fragrant and attractive. The custom was, even all the way up to Jesus' time, which was a thousand years after David wrote this. Uh, so, you know, going back 2,000 years, the custom was still that when you had visitors into your house, you poured oil on them. That was a way of welcoming them in and giving them your blessing. And then this whole thing about it running down to the collar is interesting because it's it's so overflowing, it's getting down. Uh, we're actually not entirely sure if it's a collar or just the whole entirety of the robe, but it's just to meant there's an overabundance of, of this blessing, of this of this, uh, is this overflowing wonderful thing um, is it, uh, we, we experience when this unity is really p- p- played out. But what I want to draw our attention to is the source. Do you notice it here with the words up on the screen for you? It's really interesting. It is as if precious oil running down the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar, um, this threefold repetition, running down, running down, down in the Hebrew, it's the same verb actually. It's emphasizing the blessing Aaron of Aaron's anointing was from above himself. That is, from God. Uh, one commentator put it this way: In short, true unity is possible only with God's help. Could that be? Could that be? Jesus shows us. Yeah. In John 17, he also, in his prayer, Jesus uses a repetition of words and a phrase. Did you notice it when it was read? Um, verse 20, I pray for them that they may be one, Father, just as you and me are one. and I Just as you are in me and I am in you. Verse 22, may they be one as we are one. Verse 23, I in them and you in me. Over and over, Jesus is saying, would you help these followers of mine in the distant future? Would you help them with this unity based on the love that you and I share? Would you make it based and come from the power of the love that you and I have always ever had for each other. Would that be the source? Would that be what fires them into the unity that we're talking about here? Um, but how does that make a difference? That's cool. Okay, God's the answer. You know, how does that help us? Boy, it, it makes it makes all the difference in the world. There, there was a f- phrase. Uh, boy, this is what I get for not having. You know, for doing too. Passage this week, okay, I'll just try to... There's a phrase in, 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 in the, the prayer that won't be up on your screen where Jesus says, as, as I have had glory for you... There it is. I have, I have given them the glory that you gave me. That phrase was nagging on me all this week. I'm like, what is that about? I have given you the glory that you gave me. Uh, that's kind of a big deal. Jesus was there before the creation of the world in, in infinite glory, okay? And then he comes and he says to us, Uh, praise for us. Would they have the same glory? I don't know about you, but that seems like, whoa, way over my head. There's no way we have this infinite glory. How could that be? But then you start to realize this is actually the source. This is the power for the way you and I have unity. What was the greatest act of Jesus' glory? What was the greatest act of the Father and His love for us? Of course it was on the cross, was it not? This that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins in the world, that whoever would receive him would have life evermore, as we see here? Of course that's a big thing, but you know what Jesus is saying here as he says, I have given them the glory uh, that you gave me. May they be one as we are one. Jesus is telling us how the cross came about was because of God's love, as Father and Son, and for that matter, Holy Spirit, loving us to the point of giving up their unity for the sake of us being united. On the cross, Jesus and the Father were separated from the one perfect, loving, most glorious relationship there ever was. They were separated, they were abandoned. Why? Because that's what we deserve. If we understand what the Bible teaches and and perhaps even what our hearts suggest to us, that we don't deserve the love that God has for us, for the, for, f- among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And yet on the cross, he became ununited with the Father, that we might become united not only with him, but with each other. And that is his glory. What is his glory? That he gave everything away that we could for the sake of loving us. And that is our glory if we just step into it. What glory? Not the glory that says, "Hey, I've got this all figured out." Hey, you know, you know. I think of like the kind of the the strongest uh, ties of. Of unity in in our culture that we understand is probably blood ties, family. Hey, we're brother and sister. We're in this together. But that doesn't even hit upon what Jesus has done for us. Brother and sister, that's based on blood tie. And hey, we're, you know, maybe even a little sense of pride is a good pride. But hey, we're brother and sister. But what Jesus gives us is saying, hey, because of what I have done for you in giving my life for you when you don't deserve it, you can begin to start doing that for others. And there is a power there that when we live out of that, that can't beat anything. That's the source for the unity that this world so desperately needs, that we so desperately need, where there is blessing, even life forevermore. Uh, when we receive that when we live out of that, we can move mountains. That's the source of unity, but it gets even better. <laughs> if it could, uh, we look at the product of unity. Um, Current family, this is our calling. This is our mission. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, hey, may they be one for the sake of oneness. Hey, may they be united for the sake of unity. Uh, he shows that it's a means, this unity, towards an end. Uh, what, what, towards what end? He says it here a few times. Let's look at verse 23. I pray, may they be one as we are one. May they be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, even as you have loved me. Isn't that amazing? He's saying that when we become one, when we move towards each other, especially the way that he's called us to, that is laying down our lives for the sake of each other, putting each other first, giving each other the undeserved love that we ourselves don't deserve, doing all of these things. Even when we start to hint at it and move towards it, Jesus is saying others will look and see that and be like, huh, there's got to be something different there. Our vision verse here at Current is Jesus said, and actually this is a few hours before this prayer, John 13, 34 and 35, uh, a new command I give you, followers of mine, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is why we do the Art and Wine Festival. This is why we do the pub trivias. This is why we do the block parties, so that we can have a great time hanging out, but that's actually really not the ultimate hope or goal. If no one else comes, hey, that's great, we'll have a good time. But our ultimate, ultimate goal and hope is to help people come and see, taste and see that God is good. How? Through our love for one another. Through trying to figure this out, come together, loving the, 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 our surrounding community. Hopefully people will see, Jesus is saying they will, there's something different here. There's, there's a love uh, that is attractive, and of course, that love that is attractive is not of our own. It's based on the one who loved us even when we didn't deserve his love. Um, implications of this and then I want to share a couple stories to kind of bring this home. Implications of this is for starters uh, we need to love other churches. (laughs) It's so easy in Christendom, if I can say it that way, it's so easy to not really do a great job of loving other Christian uh, Christian churches. Other churches that proclaim the gospel. It's really easy to say oh you guys do it that way (laughs) we don't do it that way. (laughs) We do it this way and just, you know what I'm saying? Uh, we need to come together and love each other and then inwardly as a church ourselves, boy we, guys we got to roll up our sleeves, do the work start with the humble conviction that it starts in our own hearts and figure out how do we love our sisters and brothers here How do we listen where we when, when we probably are not going to get it right how do we graciously love and help our brothers and sisters when they don't get it right and we see what they don't see their blind spot. How do we love? How do we not just quit on it because we're just like, you know what, it's not worth it. The gospel is Jesus died for us when we didn't des- when he deserved when we deserved him to quit on us. And yet he loved us. Um, two stories. Uh one is not in my notes because I, I got I was on the gram last night, Instagram, and um what do we even call it? Oh, sorry, stupid. IG. Um I was on Instagram last night, and uh, uh, my buddy posted this really cool picture of a room filled with hundreds of people on Cal campus, and he said, "'Oh, it's the 15th annual Jesus in Berkeley event. Isn't this wonderful? Christian group's coming together.'" And I was like, this is so awesome. 15 years ago, my buddy and I, and, and a handful of others, were like, how do we help people understand that Jesus really is alive and active on the Berkeley campus? Because we had heard any number of stories. So I was a student there. We were all students there at the time. Um, we had heard any number of, of students who were coming in as, as uh, Christians, by the way. And they would say, when I told my church that I got accepted to Berkeley and I was getting ready to go there as a student, the church would say, oh boy, we got to lay hands on this individual. Like, they're getting ready to go to Berkeley. Like, let's lay hands. And, and we're just like, okay, but like Jesus is alive and active in Berkeley. Jesus in Berkeley had a question mark at the end of it. Jesus in Berkeley? Yes, was the answer to that night. Um, and it's really great event. And I, my heart was so, so elated to see this picture that's still happening with such, with such force. It's an event where all these Christian groups get together. First, it was like 15 because everybody's like weary of this little group of people trying to put together a, you know, event that has a lot of groups coming together. Um, Now it's like 30 to 40 Christian groups that are normally out there on Sproul Plaza, which is kind of the main like choke point for all students. Like all groups that are starting up in a given year are trying to recruit new members. So that can feel for Christians like, hey, come, our group's better. Our group, don't tell them that. But come over here and join our church uh, or whatever it might be. It's not that bad. I'm just, but my point is that on that night at Jesus in Berkeley, the answer is saying, hey, it's not about any of us. It's about who Jesus is and the unity that is happening here in Berkeley. And there would be a professor who would go up and share share their faith, and everybody's like, there's there's a Christian professor at Berkeley? How is that possible? And, and all those sorts of things. And, but to me, the beauty of it always was the Christian groups, their leadership saying, look, it's not about any one of our groups. It's about we're all on the same team. Um, and, uh, and there was never a year that somebody didn't walk in and say, hey, so like, you know, so you know what what are your spiritual beliefs and saying, I don't believe in Christianity, but I heard a lot of Christian groups were coming together, and that was that's interesting to me. Um, as uh, you know, as we think about it, so we need to be loving towards Christian groups, finding ways to come together. Uh, another story, and re- well, I'll really conclude on this band actually, if you if you want to come up, you can start to make your way up. Um, or, or don't feel like you have to, I don't know what the protocol is. <laughs> Sorry, guys, this is a gift for not, I should stick my nose. Um so uh, I'll wrap up, and then they can start playing. So Cindy and I lived, as, as a number of you know, in China for, for two years, and I had the privilege, just kind of worked out to to, to work at a church as, a, as, as one of the pastors of a church that was 3,000 people strong. It was a big church, but the real kicker is there's about 82 nations represented. Okay, and it's a lot to do with like the dynamics of how Christianity works in China, and the actually regulations is the right word, and all that sort of thing. That kind of forced, like instead of all these little churches doing their own little thing and their own little groupings, you know, us all together, and it was crazy. I mean, you think about eighty-two nations of Christians trying to figure out how to work together. It was a, I don't want to say a mess because theologically that's not my point, but in many senses it was a mess. It was chaos. There was a lot of people coming at decisions from a different place, honor and respect from a different place, uh, expressions of this, 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 and all. There was times where there was lots of tears, times when there was lots of, like, you know, temperatures raised in the room and all that sort of thing. But because we were forced to come together around the things that mattered most, namely Jesus, (laughs) the scriptures and what they teach about him, and just kind of say with a lot of the non-essentials, hey, we'll just focus on what we can. Because of all of that, it was just this wonderful, beautiful expression in the mess of God's love. And there were tons of folks coming to faith in that church. People were just like, why? Because because it was messy and trying to figure it out. people People were like, this just doesn't exist. You guys are so at odds in so many respects, but you love and care for each other with a deeper bond than I've never experienced or that's out there. And of course, the answer to that was, that's the gospel, when there will come a day when all tongues, tribes and nations will worship the Father. So real quickly, 30 seconds, real quickly. Um, in you, a know, takeaway here, let's steward the unity that God's given us. Let's find ways to steward it. As God the Father and Son and Holy Spirit stewarded their love for the sake of us, for the sake of loving others, let's steward our community, broken as it is, loving as we want it to be towards loving others. Um, but, it, but realize, inwardly speaking, that it starts in our heart. Ephesians 4, 2, 3 say, "...be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace." And then let's think outward as Jesus prayed in John 17, 23. May we be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Let's pray. Father, and for that matter, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you for for the love you have for one another that you stewarded for the sake of loving us and making us one with you. Uh, As you are one, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve you. We don't deserve this blessing. We don't deserve life forevermore with you and each other. So we start by saying thank you. We praise you. And would you help us roll up our sleeves to love one another more deeply and more sacrificially as we ought, as you have modeled for us, putting each other before our own selves, And would you help us as a church family steward it for the sake of helping others around us in our surrounding community come to know and receive the love you have for them and have made available in Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.